0: Welcome to the Horns Up Half Hour, Cedar Hill ISD's podcast about scholars, staff, and community. Our guests will be individuals from the district and the community. This podcast is for anyone interested in expanding their knowledge of all things CHISD. Hello, welcome back to the Horns Up Half Hour. We are ready for the 2022-2023 school year, which starts on Monday, August 15th. I'm your host, Michael Sudhalter, and I have a very special guest. I have the Cedar Hill ISD Chief of Police, James Hawthorne
1: with me. Good to see you, Chief. Hey, good to see you, too, Michael. It's good to be back.
0: Yeah, we're ready after... I know last month we um, didn't have uh, episodes, but we're back this month, and um, we have this episode for you, and then we're going to have an August board recap episode coming up for you later this month. Mm -hmm. So... um, Chief, I guess first of all, um, you know, school safety and security has been at the top of the minds of, you know, all people, especially um, parents and um, scholars as well. So um, this has been in the, you know, national headlines on the news and in conversations. How is our district preparing uh, in terms of safety and security?
1: Well, I think we're we're preparing well, and I think we're in a good spot. Uh, When I look at things that we do uh, in preparation for safety and security uh, for our district, Uh, looking at the state mandates, looking at the things that we've mandated for ourselves locally and and here in the district, uh, we're we're doing above and beyond uh, what the state is required in terms of safety protocols and safety policies and procedures uh, that help make the district safe and uh when when i when i talk about that the one thing that i think of that comes to mind is uh after uvalde incident uh you know we know that the shooter uh had access to the school through a a door that had was unlocked a door that uh, a lock that wasn't functioning hadn't worked in a long time and so uh one of the things that the state asks uh, that districts do was uh, check all the exterior locks on all the doors to make sure that uh, they were operational and working as they're supposed to. And uh, we completed that audit. Uh, We found very few deficiencies, and those deficiencies that we did find, they were fixed on the spot, and so we're in 100% compliance with uh, operational locks, doors that are locking like they're supposed to, to keep people out
0: okay so i know you said there have been several uh mandates by the state um obviously doors has been one of them um and then there have been some others as well what has the well, department one, yeah one of the things yeah. that
1: that that uh we do uh, there's a safety and security audit of the uh, school districts that's, that's done every three years we've taken that every three year uh, process and we've actually mandated that we do that every year in the district so we don't wait Uh, For every three years to take place before we do our safety and security audit of the district We do it every year. And so when the state pushed out uh, that mandate for an additional safety and security audit They call it a a partial audit uh, That's something that we already do and what that is is just making sure that we are going over the safety Emergency operations plan with the administrators that administrators know about the safety and the emergency operations plan, where it's located, how to access it, and actually cover that information uh, with their staff in the event that there is an emergency. And so, uh, and you know, just knowing how to uh, do e- traffic egress and ingress when they are doing dismissal, how to wa- how walk people to the car line and have an orderly car line, uh, and then how to conduct themselves when we do uh, emergency drills, to the uh, standard response protocols uh, that we do here in the district. And so those are things that we already do. And so uh, it's not hard for us to meet those state mandates because those are things that we do annually every, every year. And so from that standpoint, you know, I think that we're, we're, we're in, in pretty good shape. And, you know, and, and since we're talking about that, you know, when we talk about safety and security, we talk about the safety of our facilities. Are our facilities safe? uh you know yes our facilities are very safe uh because in each of our facilities uh there's the the controlled vestibules and what i mean is if you 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 can't just walk into any school you know you have to be buzzed in and so you have to uh hit a hit a buzzer uh at the front door and staff inside has to identify you as as being a person there with a legitimate purpose uh before you are even able to come into the building once you're in the building uh the the entryways entry points into other areas of the school uh, are locked and so the only way that you can have access to other parts of the school other areas of the school is if somebody from staff allows you into those areas and so it's a controlled access uh, controlled lobby areas uh, and so we feel safe in that regard that people can't have access can't just walk into Uh, any building and have access to the staff or children inside the school because of those uh, uh, mechanisms or those access control points that we have. You know, in addition, we have uh, uh, security cameras in the schools. Those cameras are operational. We're able to see most of the things that are happening inside the school. Uh, Administrators can see those. They have access to the cameras as well as us at the police department and our security teams, and so... Uh, you know, there are always enhancements that we could do. We could have a better quality camera here or there, but for the most part, you know, those cameras are effective in terms of helping us identify people uh, or situations inside the school. Uh, we, we, we're always on top of the lighting, and uh, and so we have, uh, in, in some, some campuses, we've extended uh, the lighting situation or enhanced it to have exterior LED lighting. The LED lighting is a much brighter light and we hope to expand that to all campuses. Uh, but you know we, we have that in place. And uh, another thing that we have in place that uh, that we do, we have a contract with InterQuest uh the, the canine detection services. And so we roughly do around somewhere between 30, 35 uh canine visits a year. What those canines uh do they come and check the parking lots. They sniff the, park- the cars in the parking lots for uh, you know contraband, weapons, things of that nature. And, uh, and last year, uh, we did uh, discover a weapon inside of a car as a result of the uh, canine search. And so uh, we believe that that's a, a good safety protocol that we have, having those canines searching cars and search- sniffing cars and sniffing the parking lot the things that don't belong in that. And so we we intend to enhance that this year and do even more of those types of things. And so I want to point out I know there's there's community rumors, you know, uh, things about guns being rampant and, and things like that, you know, on school campuses. And out of the 35 searches, you know, that that we did, the random searches, you know, we, we did retrieve one weapon. So um, so I don't think there's prevalent you know, as uh, you know, maybe some of the misinformation or communication that's out there in the community. Because certainly, if if uh, that were the case, you would think that we would have discovered more weapons and more contraband in the parking lot. And this was on
0: thirty-five different
1: occasions. Yeah. Okay. If we have opportunities to have mentors in school to have a visible presence um, uh, and connect with the kids to help them with maybe some decision making help them through issues that they're trying to you know get through right i think that will will impact uh you know some of the situations that we see inside the camp
0: well one of the things that i was going to ask though is i know this summer that your department collaborates with the cedar hill uh, police department on the it's every year the annual uh, youth summit i don't know how many years maybe
1: but it's been going on a number of years, yeah. and actually the Cedar Hill Police Department uh, was doing that long before I got here, Yeah, uh, and they allowed us to partner with them, um, and, and since I've been here, the six years that I've been here, it's been a wonderful partnership. We actually get an opportunity to um, engage the kids in a way that we don't, you know, during the school year, and so, you know, they, they get to learn about police procedure, they get to learn how police operate. And they get to see us as humans, as the humans that we are. You know? Do you wish
0: that something like that was uh, was was in place when you were growing up in Fort
1: Worth? Oh yeah, most yeah. definitely. Yeah. You know, they didn't have programs like that when I was growing up, and so, you know, any opportunity that we have to get in front of kids or people and have them see that we we're people, mm-hmm. you know, we're we're actual people that that live in the community, live in neighborhoods, we're fathers, we're mothers, we're uncles, brothers. Uh, you know, we're just regular people who live in the community. Uh, we have the responsibility, we're tasked or paid with enforcing the law, but we are just regular people like, like everybody else. And so I think when we have the opportunity to uh, partner like we do with the Youth Summit, and those kids get to know us and see us in that type of capacity, it makes a big difference.
0: Yeah. So I know with your um, background, how many years is this for you in law enforcement going
1: into this year? Oh, going into this year, I have about 36, 37 years of law enforcement experience.
0: Oh, okay. And then you were in um, APD. I know when we say APD around here, a lot of people think all pro dads, but... um, Over in Tarrant County, it's yeah, like, Arlington yeah. Police Department, and what yeah. was your role when you retired from Arlington?
1: Uh, when I retired from the Arlington Police Department, I was uh, assistant police chief. Okay. I was yeah. assistant police yeah. chief over uh, the Community Support Bureau. The okay. The police department is, it was separated into three bureaus, mm-hmm. and I uh, had the Community Support Bureau.
0: Okay, so that's yeah. a, obviously a long time in law enforcement. How has it changed from when you first got into the profession <laughs> to now?
1: Well, I was talking to somebody the other day, and when I first got into uh, law enforcement, there were no computers in cars. Oh, wow! And so you know, uh, law enforcement has, has certainly changed. Uh, I was somebody was teasing me, said we were riding horses to calls, <laughs> and, and no, we weren't riding horses to calls, but but yeah, there were no computers in cars, and and, and certainly uh, law enforcement was just a, it was a lot different. Police work was just a lot different back then, and. Uh, and it's changed for the better, I think. You know, there have been challenges uh, uh, with it, but I think for the most part, uh, those changes that we've seen take place have been needed changes. Uh, they help us, you know, build a better relationship with the community and help us be more in tune with community needs. And so, that's that's uh, a positive for the police department, and uh, we, and we should op- we should continue with those type of efforts to help us build those relationships.
0: When you get the community giving you leads or any kind of information, I mean that's got to help. And we have something in place. A lot of people know about it. We want to, you know, make sure everybody knows about it. There's something called anonymous alerts that uh, I know your department works with. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. We we get a lot of leads, a lot of tips, and uh, and we've found that it's really been a successful tool. Uh, it helps us a lot uh, in terms of kids being able to report bullying incidents or report thefts or just report anything that's going on on the campus it's quite effective
0: but it doesn't have to rise to the level of a criminal offense in order for them to report just anything they may be concerned about yeah
1: anything that they may be concerned about yeah. you know and uh, and that's the beauty of it you know yeah. it doesn't have any qualifications to it if you have a concern you want to get that concern to somebody and you want somebody to address something that you see that may look out of place may look suspicious or it's just something that you don't feel is quite right. There's a way for you to report that, and nobody, you know, know who, who, who actually reported it, if, if you wish to remain anonymous.
0: You know? And I know law enforcement has really, especially in the large, uh, you know, in large metro areas, departments have um, changed their approach to how they deal with um, mental health um, and address those situations. Yeah. Have you seen that change during your time in the profession? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that's a big, big issue. And when I say a big issue, there was a big problem uh, with the inability of law enforcement to recognize some of those issues and how they impact and affect individuals. And so there's been a lot of effort and a lot of training, a lot of visibility around dealing with people uh, uh, with intellectual you know, disabilities or just people who, who uh, have special needs. And so we have to recognize We have to do a a better job in law enforcement of recognizing those situations uh, and dealing with those situations more appropriately the way that they should be dealt, you know, so that we can be more effective with helping all the constituents that require our help. And so, um, you know, it's important that, that, that we stay in the front and lead from the front in terms of uh, recognizing those types of individuals and how to deal with those individuals. Because I was just reading uh, just today how uh, there was a situation and I forget what city, where they didn't deal with that individual appropriately. He was a 13-year-old kid, and the kid ended up dying in the custody uh, of these teachers who didn't recognize that this kid had special needs and needed to be dealt with in a different way. And so we spent a lot of time on identifying have an officers be able to identify individuals like that and knowing what are the correct procedures, what are the correct protocols, you know, for dealing with individuals who may have special needs and have to be dealt with a little differently.
0: But in terms of um, something like whenever one of these horrible tragedies happens, it comes out often after the fact that they say that this individual, they were posting things on social media or there were all these signs that they were either um, – depressed or, or things like that um and then what can well, you do as a department to kind yeah. of see those and, and intervene before yeah. um yeah. you know tragedy happens and, yeah and that's,
1: and that's a little bit different category yeah. you know a person you know you know there are certainly people who who uh, are doing things that would rise to a level of, of somebody looking into what's going on with this individual you right. know um whether, whether it be, like you say, some postings that they're doing on social media, comments that they made to other students, uh, uh, excessive absences, you know, uh, referrals, an and excessive amount of referrals. When you have those type of things going on in the school, uh, those individuals rise to a level um, where there's threat assessments that are conducted around those individuals. Because uh-huh. they could be a, a person that's in need of some wraparound services. A little more attention than than what the average counselor may be able to provide, and so right. when we have those warning signs pop up, it's important that we recognize them and have processes in place to flag those individuals so that we can bring them in. And if they're the wraparound services that they need, we should be in a position to provide those, you know. And sometimes that's from a law enforcement perspective, but sometimes it's not. You know, a kid may be acting out because they're hungry, and And nobody recognizes, you know, what's going on with that individual, and so when we bring them in and do that threat assessment and figure out what's happening with them, it may be that we just need to refer them to a nutrition specialist to make sure that they have um, uh, meals that they're not getting, or you know, it could be a number of things. You know, I just threw that one out as an example, right? Right. Yeah. But but it could be any number of things that are going on with that individual, with that child, that uh, they need special attention or attention devoted around that issue and we can't do that if we don't have a a Process in place to provide those social and emotional learning uh, Opportunities uh, for us to intervene uh, 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 With a child who may be in need like that and so that's the whole purpose of doing a threat assessment Uh, It could be to prevent um, Violence it could be you know that that we're uh, interrupting something and and, uh, intervening in a in a in a manner that we interrupt a violent situation, or it could be just that that person needs some other wraparound services. All right.
0: right, Well, thank you so much, Chief, and thank you for your service to the district. We really appreciate everything you and your
1: department. uh, Thank you. you, Thank you. We're glad to to be a part of this program, and we're glad to uh, serve the uh, Cedar Hill uh, School District.